You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon, testimonies from reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. And this week's guest is Sarah Chris Meyer, who I want to tell you about. Um, really, really cool checking out Sarah's website. So she is a Catholic author, a Bible teacher, and speaker with a special love for Lexio Divina and journaling as ways to draw close to Christ and scripture. She is the co-developer and founding editor of the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program and the author or co-author of more than a dozen books. And her latest book, um, which is very well reviewed, is called Becoming Women of the Word, how to Answer God's Call with Purpose and Joy. In addition to that, she serves as an adjunct faculty member at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia and is also a board member of the Malvern Retreat House. Before I get too much further into that, Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for agreeing to, to be here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, Eddie. Thanks for having me. One thing I've got to tell you is this quote that I found on your website. Uh, it's your quote, which just really, um, really amazes me. So Sarah says, some people see God, especially in the Old Testament, as angry and arbitrary and vengeful. But when I saw the whole story laid out in the Bible, I was overwhelmed by God's mercy, and it hit me like lightning. I am part of that story, that he is pursuing me that he has been wooing me my whole life. And Sarah, I'm sure that has a lot to do with your story, but that is just such an important message. I mean, we still hear it constantly. Even, um, you know, if I say, hey, I reverted to the Catholic church, there are certain things that get projected onto the person that's kind of announcing Catholicism. And they may have this idea that, Hey, um, don't you view God as this vengeful? I don't, I don't know where all of these ideas come from, but it is important to put it out there. Um, so I was hoping maybe we could start by just having you speak to that quote a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up um, because that really does come right to the heart of um, who I am and my relationship with God and why I do what I do. And it's interesting that you bring up the Catholic perception or whatever, because um, I think I grew up thinking that Catholics were all full of guilt and thought that, that God was vengeful and so on. Um, I think a lot of people think that, especially if they read the Old Testament and they kind of dip in and out and they think that uh, God did an about face when, when Jesus came and maybe he was a, an entirely new God. Um, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up knowing the love of God my entire life. And yet somehow when I was in college, and here I'm still a Protestant at this point, uh, I had a professor who had us read a book by a Jewish rabbi. Uh, it was called God in Search of Man. And we had to read the story through his, through his viewpoint, really, but from Genesis all the way, it was just the Old Testament. Clearly, it wasn't the New Testament. But that's when it really hit me that it was this, it wasn't just a lot of isolated stories, but that God had been doing something from the beginning of creation and that he 
wants us, that he, he loves every single one of us. And I was so taken by the bad treatment he got from the people in the Old Testament and the way they kept on um, failing and, you know, backstabbing and they were not good to him. And yet he keeps reaching out. He keeps reaching down and babying them along and moving them along. And at some point it just hit me. That's what he's been doing to me too. And I was so incredibly grateful. So uh, that's not at the heart of my conversion story, obviously, but um, yeah, definitely at the heart of my story. So. Got it. Yeah, I'm curious. So as of your college years, you were still Protestant. So how were you raised? What was what was childhood yeah. like? And I know and you also mentioned you just had this deep love from from the beginning. So. I did. I mean, I have uh, was blessed to be born into a family where on both sides for many generations uh, there it's filled with really devout uh, Christians who are who love God with their whole heart. Most of them have uh, or many of them, I should say, have given their lives in uh, foreign missions as evangelists, preachers, Bible teachers. Um, and even if they're nothing official, you know, in their neighborhoods, they're telling people about the Lord and running Bible studies. And um, God was just at the center of, this is my dad's family, my mom's family, and both of their parents, all four of their parents' family. So really um, grew up kind of steeped in this heritage of people who loved God and had seen him work in really remarkable ways, um, particularly different ones on the mission field and so on. Um, we were missionaries also when I was little. So I was in Hong Kong. My dad helped to start a missions hospital. And then he actually hurt his back, thought that he was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. We came back to the United States and he was healed by a man who prayed for him. So that was also in my background, just this kind of, oh, God does miracles. You know, God takes care of us. Um, but this is the 60s, the mid 60s. And my parents, along with several of their siblings, um, basically rebelled against God, rebelled against their family. And I spent my middle school years um, pretty much churchless. Uh, I don't, I don't think we, maybe they talked about God, but um, I don't really recall it that much. And then they did not come back to God until I was in high school. And uh, they did a real, uh, they had a very dramatic coming back to the Lord. And it was a sort of traumatic for me, dramatic for them, yeah. traumatic for me to suddenly have all these rules in church and things I wasn't used to. So I had to kind of go through my own turnaround at that point. Um, but the family was always there, you know, the larger family with their arms around us praying. And um, I always knew that truth. Was it, was it, was it a specific denomination that, you know, that was supporting the mission trips and, and, and the fact that they kind of left. And then when they came back, was it all under one denomination? Yeah, many, many different ones. Got it. In fact, yeah, some of my ancestors uh, and relatives started different denominations. They were part of the, the big missionary sweep that happened in the early 1900s. Um, they started missionary organizations. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, so a lot of it was non-denominational sure. um, because of that. Uh, so I, and everyone's in a different, <laughs> so I grew up thinking that, you know, denominations were not necessarily that important. Um, what was important was your relationship with God. And I thought uh, that was true of being Catholic as well. Got you it. Know? Yeah. So did they ever talk about the invisible body and, and how we were, I'm just curious how many people talk about, hey, these are all of our brothers and sisters, or were, was there a clear division? And to you, you just said, okay, I mean, there's some differences, but we're all, we're all united in some way, shape, or form, right? You know, I think there's kind of a general agreement among the Protestants. Okay, just leave the Catholic aside for a second, but sure. to kind of agree to disagree. So there are, you you sort of agree on the essentials and you, you may disagree on other things. Um, I think as I got older, that got a little problematic because I would see there were people who were more on the kind of charismatic side who thought that if you did not speak in tongues, you were not a Christian. And then there were these other people over here who I loved just as much who would be like, if you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. <laughs> and, you know, baptism, you know, infant baptism or, or adult baptism. And um, all of these questions, as I got older, I started to think, hmm, you know, some of these things, like whether you're going to hell or not, that's pretty central. You know, if, if this is something that can determine whether you're going to heaven, Maybe it's not something that you agree to disagree about sure. or, um, you know, baptism. Uh, is it, is it, is, does something really happen or does it not really happen? And um, I, I got, I started to get uncomfortable with the disagreements and with um, the thought that I had to decide what was true. Like I had to decide for myself, here are the, um, here are the doctrines that I'm going to follow. Here's where I'm going to plant my peg. And I had so many different possibilities. I didn't feel like I was able to make that decision. That was kind of confusing to me. Well, it's funny. You've mentioned that many people have mentioned this where they'll say, well, you know, we kind of agree on the essentials. And then you would say, okay, what, what are the essentials of course? Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, was there a uh, global, um, was there a council that was held that defined these essentials or did people just get together in passing and say, you know, uh, I think what the reformers taught, that's essential. Why? Why? Because, you know what I mean? You just ask those questions. And for, for me, that was part of my reversion journey, mm -hmm. asking some of those questions. Where did those come from? Who had authority to then say, I'm gonna put my stamp on this, this is essential. And yep. everything outside of the, these parameters, eh, eh whatever, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I never uh, personally, before I became Catholic, I never really went back that far. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we put a lot of stock in the Holy Spirit guiding people. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. He promised that. and. I, I guess I did start to realize that we had our own traditions, tradition, I guess, even might even have called it a capital T tradition. <laughs> um, it, you know, the sort of center evangelical tradition, you know, my grandfather's a friend of Billy Graham's and sort of the, the sort of that center 
I don't even know what you would call it, but that evangelical tradition is kind of where I fit. Um, yeah. And I would ask my parents if I had questions, but as I got older, I was like, oh, well, where do I go when I'm the adult? You know, how do I know? And that was disquieting to me. Um, so that so. started to happen right after college where you were starting to feel a little. It started to happen in college a little bit. Um, I went to Gordon College, which is a, a um, Protestant college up okay. north of Boston. Um, Tom Howard was my uh, advisor and a close friend of my father's, and he was going through his whole evangelical is a not, not enough kind of phase. Um, but I, through him, I got um, acquainted with the Episcopalian Church, and the one that we had up there was wonderful. You know, it was a really vibrant church. Uh, the liturgy was beautiful, which meant a great deal to me. I had never been part of a liturgical uh, group before. We, I'd always been in more free-flowing types of churches. I guess we were Methodists for a short time, but um, the, I just thought the liturgy added so much to my experience. I didn't really have a sense of um, the sacraments at that point, but something resonated in me about that that I really liked. And then when I left college, I couldn't find it again. So I was always searching, always searching, trying different churches, trying to find it. And um, never, never actually found it until I became Catholic, I guess. So what happened? So you're going to these different churches and you're not finding anything um, similar because I always think in terms of when a, I can't help but view it this way. When was a denomination founded? So I start thinking in terms of, okay, if you end up at the Pentecostal church, I start picturing the 1900s. Okay, in a sense, you're getting further and further. I know there are exceptions, but in a sense, you're getting further and further from the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And as you kind of go upstream, you start to see that these things are becoming more and more prominent. The, the, the parts that come distinct, that are distinctly Catholic, the things that mm -hmm. have been clearly retained from Catholicism. So did you have any idea as you're exploring these churches that, okay, maybe I'm getting a little bit further from the Episcopalian church, or did that enter your, your mind? You were just, you didn't view things like that, I'm assuming? I, I think, um, I think I thought it was kind of a matter of style, that there were doctrinal issues. I wasn't, I mean, I had studied a bit, mostly my Bible though. I mean, I had taken some theology courses, but um, I think I thought that they were kind of a matter of style. And I had been in so many different ones from wild charismatic all the way to Episcopalian and I could kind of make my home in any of them. And so I, I was thinking, where am I gonna be at home? I need to make sure that their doctrine is sound. And I was a little bit fuzzy on, on what, what that would be. Um, but I also wanted to feel comfortable there. And I think I was looking for people like myself and I wasn't finding them. And it's ironic because when I finally became Catholic, I didn't find a lot of people like myself, but I felt like I was at home. It was, I can't explain it. Um, so how, how did you, how did you find the Catholic church and which church was it? Like what specific location? I'm sure you remember. And did someone invite you or did you just? Oh no, I got dragged kicking and screaming. <laughs> oh, Are you kidding? 
<laughs> I, uh, for better or worse, I'm, I'm thinking for better. I fell in love with somebody who was a cradle Catholic who had left the Catholic, he had left the church altogether as a young man, you know, when he left home for college. And he had come back to a relationship with God, um, I guess through me, through my roommate maybe, and went to church with me. But eventually when we got married, uh, to make a long story short, uh, we got married, uh, we were looking for churches. I'm trying to, he's following my lead because he doesn't really know where to go. And we're looking for a church where I'll be comfortable and think that we can settle. And uh, actually you mentioned the, the different denominations. One time I said, well, I really wanna go to an Episcopalian church because I was so happy at that one church. And that was the one denomination he refused to go to because he's like, we're not going to some church that, you know, King Henry VIII wanted to have an extra wife. And so they formed this other church or whatever it was. So he would not let us even try that. Um, but he, when I became pregnant, he suddenly wanted to baptize the baby Catholic. I was like, what the heck? You know, that, that wasn't in our prenup. We weren't going <laughs> to, not that we had one. But all of a sudden, all of his Catholic roots start coming back. And we went and we visited a Catholic church. And he's like, I'm home. I was like, that was the worst service I've ever been at in my life. I couldn't hear anything. You know, the guy spoke a different language. His the PA system was bad. The kids were screaming behind me. People were going in, coming out. I mean, it was a disaster. I never wanted to go back again ever. And he's like, I feel like I've been to church for the first time in 10 years or something. Oh my goodness. And it was just horrible because from that time, he starts to feel himself drawn back to the Eucharist, to the church he grew up with, even though he couldn't explain it. He couldn't answer questions, but he's being drawn back and he goes, you don't have to go with me. I was like, we're married. You know, we, <laughs> we can't have different churches. This is a big, huge crisis. So this is um, 19, this is the eighties and um, there, you know, I think Scott Hahn might have become Catholic by that point. Probably he had by then, but he hadn't. Kimberly was maybe uh, a year or two from becoming Catholic. People weren't writing all the books that they started yeah. to write. And I had a ton of questions and Mark couldn't answer any of them. And so we started going to an abbey where this wonderful priest uh, was willing to talk to me. And he tried very hard uh to answer questions that i had to with to some avail um but then we moved and my husband got a job out in um illinois we moved out there um it was a really tough time in our life just to i guess if i tell too many details i'll be here all night telling you um no, no. go ahead <laughs> our life started to fall apart um he lost his job. We had no money. We couldn't sell our house. We had, I mean, many, many hard, horrible things were happening in our personal life. And here we are, and I need my good Christian fellowship, and I don't have it. And he's going to a Catholic church, and he wants me to go to a Catholic church with him. So I just was panicking. And I heard about RCIA and I said, I'm going to that because they're going to tell me all the reasons why we cannot be Catholic. 
that I can then tell, <laughs> convince my husband so that we can stop this nonsense and go back to Church of the Savior. Or let, let me ask you this real quick. When yeah. you were asking those questions to your husband's Mark, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was he getting defensive or did he just say, oh, I don't, I don't have an answer to that. And was he comfortable in saying that because um, he had no clue. Uh, yeah. But did he get, <laughs> did he get frustrated at all? Or did he stay calm? I'm looking for that guy that can stay calm when they're, because the way, when my wife was questioning me, I would just shut, either shut down or just get so angry. And it was clearly because I just didn't have any clue why <laughs> anything about the Catholic faith. And she was looking at me like, weren't you raised Catholic? Did you retain anything? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't recall him getting angry, but I'm sure he was frustrated. Sure. Um, it, I mean, in a way, it really prompted him to start investigating his faith because he realized that after so many years of Catholic school, he went through Catholic grade school, high school, and didn't take any of it with him. There was stuff that he took that he didn't realize, but he was not able to articulate his beliefs. But I think almost a bigger problem at that stage was that the way I saw it anyway, is that Protestants and Catholics have a lot of the, use a lot of the similar language, but mean different things. And I don't think he even understood my questions. And that the priest that I talked to, the, I, I couldn't make myself understood. And um, maybe it was my own failing of not being able to articulate what the questions were and my fear. Um, but they would try explaining things to me. It also didn't make sense. And I don't think I had enough of a ground knowledge of the Catholic way of looking at things to be able to understand things. So the reason I went to RCIA was I thought, well, certainly at church, they're going to be able to, their, their job is to explain the faith. They're going to explain it. I'm going to write down all the falsities that they tell me and bring them home and tell Mark, here's why we can't be Catholic. So that was my game plan. And it backfired. I, I went in, I had my list, which started out with the Pope and Mary and the saints and indulgences. And there's, I'm sure there were a few more on there. But all they wanted to talk about was who's God and who's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and why we need a savior. And I came back and I was like, they're Christian. Mark was like, duh, what did you expect? You know, Buddhist or something. And I didn't expect like the basics of the Christian faith. And as we get further and further into it, they kept telling me, wait up on those questions. We got more basic stuff to talk about. And I'll never forget listening to them describe the sacraments of initiation. And here we have children now where my brothers and his sisters are having children. And we're all talking about, you know, getting ready for baptism. And in my family, it's, well, are you going to baptize as infants or when they reach the age of reason? I got baptized twice. <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the right way to do it here? So I hear them explain it. And I listened to that and I was like, this is what I've always believed. I mean, it just rang so true. Why did nobody ever say it like this before? It was just, it was beautiful. And after that, my attitude changed a little bit in coming to RCIA. I was like, hmm, because I'm having trouble figuring out what I, what, you know, what's my right doctrine, whatever. And, you know, 
they already know at least what their doctrine is. And looking back, I can think that maybe I started to see part of the beauty of the church and how um, as an adult Catholic, um, one of the wonderful things to me is that I don't have to figure it out, that I can spend my energies learning to understand it and learning to live it, but I don't have to define it. That was a scary thing to me. Um, so am I talking too much? No, not at all. I was just going to mention one of the first episodes I aired, this gentleman said that he was tasked at his local church with coming up with the statement of faith for the church. And that was a monumental moment for him. I don't know that it happened right as he was asked that question, but as he started writing down, what does this church believe? What do we as Christians believe? And he said, this cannot be right. I am developing a statement of faith in isolation. And then he said, I think it was him or someone else. All these start to blend together. Um, that you're forced to look at what others have said, but you only go back to what is convenient to your tradition. Mm -hmm. And so for him, he said, oh, there is a tradition that goes back to Christ. I've got to break, obviously the Holy Spirit broke down a bunch of barriers for him to see that. Mm -hmm. But when you mention, you know, I don't have that burden, he felt an intense burden in that moment. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can relate to that so, so yeah go ahead yeah so it uh you know things went on from there and then uh i almost lost it altogether because they actually had a um a day when you could come and ask any question that you wanted and i was really looking forward to that day because i had my list that was still there and they had a, a I guess it was a priest and a deacon, maybe three or four people sort of up front. And there's a crowd of us. There had to be at least 50 people in my RCIA class. It was large. Wow. And I guarantee you, I was the only person who was there just for me. Everybody was there because they're getting married and they had to, whatever. I don't know how much, I, I didn't get to know any of them, so I should not make judgments. I'm sorry, but I'm judging based on the question that everybody had. It was all related to marriage. Yeah. Got it. It was all about contraception. Mm. So even more specific. I like I had never heard that before. I didn't know that the person, I didn't know that anybody existed on the face of the earth who didn't think contraception was okay. <laughs> I didn't know the church didn't think it was. I didn't know any people thought I'd never heard of this. I was like, did I come to the wrong class tonight? Is this why am I here? This is has nothing to do with why I'm here at all. And the priest talks about, uh, I guess he was talking about humanity Vitae. He was explaining that. Again, this is 19, what, 90, 89. And um, he talks about it. He puts his notes down and he said, so that's how they do it in Rome. And here in America, we do things a little bit differently. Um, your sex life is between you and your spouse. I certainly hope that you will pray and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance on this, but it really is a, a private matter for the two of you to decide. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> you know, I was so, I remember I was just shaking. I was so upset. And I said, I 
am a Christian. I love Jesus with all of my heart. Uh, I am here because I'm trying to find out if maybe I should become Catholic, which at the moment I don't want to become. And for all I can tell, one of the main differences you have is that you've got a po I don't know that I knew the word magisterium, but you know, you've got some kind of authority telling people what to believe, what Christian beliefs are, and so on. And you've just told me that it doesn't matter. Why should I not be Protestant? And I got up and I just walked out so that I wouldn't start crying in front of everybody. I was so upset. And I never went back again. Uh, I was done. I just could not handle that. Um, meanwhile, our life is falling apart. And um, right around that time, I get a, uh, so I told you Tom Howard in um, back at Gordon, Gordon he's, yeah. he's sort of feeding me stuff periodically. And um, I told him how upset I was. And he sent me Kimberly Hunt's conversion tape. And um, she had just converted, I guess, and she had given a, her testimony somewhere. And I listened to it. She and I come from a very similar background. And she started talking about the fear that she felt. And that all I felt was fear because my life is falling apart. Everything that I, that had been firm underneath me for my entire life was like falling apart. And my family, which was my rock, didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. My friends didn't. Nobody Catholic could understand me. I mean, I felt so incredibly alone. And my husband didn't get it. I mean, I just, I, my whole world was falling apart. And so when I heard her fear and the way she described it, I just thought, somebody else in this world has been through what I've been through. And I called her and she was awesome. She talked to me for hours. They weren't famous yet, obviously. <laughs> um, we had time to spare at that, that's at that right. point. <laughs> well, I think we're both nursing babies and whatever, but she was, she was so helpful. Um, but there was one thing that she said to me that I never forgot. She was like, Sarah, you have all these questions. She goes, are you gonna get them all answered as a Protestant? I was like, I don't think so. You know, she said, well, what makes you think you're going to have every single one of these questions answered? Because I wanted every single question answered before I would decide whether I would be Catholic or not. So about this time, I was praying. I was praying all the time. I was just on my knees day and night. I was so distraught. And the Lord said to me, he said, Sarah, um, who brought you here? And the way he said it, it was like rhetorical question, like he brought me here. And I was so mad because just to think that God might have brought me there, I thought I had like wandered in some kind of, you know, pit stop somewhere. I was not supposed to be, and I wanted God to take me out of that situation. And he says, who brought you here? And I had to face the thought that, oh, maybe he did. And that wasn't, I, I wasn't up for that. So I told him, <laughs> and when I was done being mad and crying, which I probably was, um, it, it was, I don't know if it was a division. I don't even remember if I was dreaming or if I was awake, but I very clearly in front of me see green grass, beautiful sky, and a hand stretched out to me. And he said, I'm going this way. Are you coming? 
I just heard that. And I was raised that if God asked you to go to the jungles of Africa, it didn't matter. You go where God asked you to go. And it wasn't like um, you go or else. It was an invitation. But um, I knew that's what, what he wanted me to do. And I didn't get it. And it was black to me. But I thought, okay, if God himself will ask me to go there, it must be Christian. And if it's not Christian, it must be okay. <laughs> um, and maybe if I'm going the same way as my husband, maybe then God could steer us back around again at some point. But so when I became Catholic, then it was out of obedience because I felt that that's where God wanted me to go. So we actually, our life kept falling apart. We ended up coming back to the East Coast. Um, I finished out in an, in an entirely different RCIA class um, and was received into the church. Uh, you know, I can't even remember. It was like 1991, maybe, um, or two. So it might be. How many years is that? Is that 30 years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, no, no. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, it's a long time. Yeah, 30 years. I, I'm not good with math. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the RCIA, that time around, you were already, like you said, you were being obedient. Were there other challenges that arose in? in RCIA yeah. and did you ever get those, did you bring those questions up again? The, the list of questions or did that kind of? Well, I think in talking to Kimberly, I realized that I had a while to figure some of those out. And basically, I mean, at the time for me to become Baptist would have been a big deal. I mean, I would have had theological questions that I would have had to. So I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna keep investigating some of these things, but if, if this is a Christian church, which I had been sort of convinced over that first RCIA, you know, clearly they have some problems. Maybe I knew that. Mm -hmm. All churches have problems. God wants me to go this way. This is where I need to go. But then we had to get married again. So we have two children. My grandfather married us the first time, and I have to get married again. Clay, who you know, my son, is, is our third child, but he likes to say he's, a, he's the oldest son because it was after. <laughs> he's the legitimate oldest son, right? After uh, convalidation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a hurdle, but at that point, um, I knew I had to do it. So it was, uh, it was difficult to do, but I just threw myself into studying at that point. And, um, study, 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 study all the time, all my free time. And as um, Tom Howard started sending me books, um, I mean, Frank Sheed was a big help. Thomas Aquinas, believe it or not, uh, a bunch of people, just as I started to get some of the Catholic theology, not only did more of it started to make sense, but scripture started to come alive in a new way too. So it started to get very exciting, but all of that happened after I was brought into the church. Got it. And I just wanted to make sure I understood correctly the first uh, RCIA um, experience. Here you are hearing about authority, the magisterium, and to then have someone say, well, it's, 
it's between you and your spouse really so that so it, it seems as if even though you were still opposed to catholicism at that at that moment mm-hmm. you almost want and i've heard this from other people again correct me if i'm wrong that there was almost a defense if you are saying this follow through with it because i need to know yes. that there is an authority and mm-hmm. there is truth and it is laid out for you to follow you know that kind of thing right yeah yep it's not guesswork Yes. And I wanted to know, I'm a rule follower and I like to know, you know, what is it that I'm signing up for? Mm -hmm. What are the rules? And then I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But -hmm. it's interesting. uh, You know, I never really thought about this uh, until you put those two things together. After that experience, I didn't really think about the church's um, opinion on contraception after that. Um, and I don't think any, for some reason in the second RCIA, even though we had to do pre-Cana again, um, I don't recall them talking about contraception. And we joined a group of, I guess it was an Opus Dei group that we, we joined. And we went to a picnic with them one time. And some of the women, uh, and I guess a couple of the men too, they were sitting around and they were talking about natural family planning, and they were talking about the theology of the body. I had never heard anything like the theology of the body before. And of course, we had been contracepting our way apart from getting having those two kids merrily away. And I heard this and I was like, wow, there's really something here. But then we didn't see them again. And it was it was quite a while before I really heard that articulated again and was able to get into it and then we were able to deal with it in, in our own marriage so it took a little while for that to come about yeah so now you're in the church so 92 let's say let's just just throw out a year 92 um how when did you progress into doing all the great work for the church <laughs> and was there still that length was there a lengthy period of time where you're still getting those answers that when did you finally say you know what this is this is all right you know uh, people describe it as that moment where um and i've mentioned this before there are two camps where there is the person that if they can get that one massive stake out of the ground everything else just falls and then those that want to pluck out hundreds of stakes okay prove this now okay, prove this, prove this. Did you finally get to that point? And how far along were you when you, when you got to that point? Yeah, so mine was more like, um, so when I, beca- the night I became Catholic, I felt like I was jumping off a cliff into a black hole. <laughs> and I felt like there was this black, so, so picture like a big flat, black piece of felt in front of my eyes. I just can't see through it. So I start reading, I start studying, I'm going to mass, I'm sure that's helping, you know? Um, but it's, it's like little pinpricks of light started coming through that black. And after a while, there's more and more and more and more and more. And then as, it, as there became more, they shed light on the others. And so then it's sort of gray instead of black. And it, after a while, it's just dazzling. <laughs> um, I don't know how to explain it other than that. Um, another way might be if you're do you like to put together puzzles I you do. know you, yeah. you have to do the whole 
border first border. and you get the you know all the red ones over here and the blue ones or whatever okay. there's a, you, you hit a critical mass when all of a sudden you can see the picture you almost don't need the box top anymore because it makes sense okay um it was it was a few years but i really was studying nonstop the entire time and all of a sudden not only was that were the basic the theological things that i had been studying not only was that making sense i think i said this a few minutes ago the bible started it, it like exploded in technicolor now i've always loved the bible that was my sacrament that was where i met the lord um i never knew that it could be in brighter colors than i already saw it and somehow viewing it through the uh, lens of, of Catholic teaching. It just, it was 3D instead of flat. I don't know. I don't know how to ex else to explain it. And so I was part of a uh, non-denominational Bible study at the time. It was a wonderful Bible study program. I was one of the leaders. And as these things started getting clear to me, I wanted to bring them up in our class. Well, that wasn't very well accepted. Uh, they weren't mean about it. They were nice, but um, it got it got quite uncomfortable, I guess. And um, finally, I went to my priest and I said, hey, you think I could start a Bible study in our parish? Because I by this time, I wanted to share the beauty of the Catholic faith that I was seeing and also the beauty of scripture. I wanted to share that with my new Catholic friends, right? So he said, yeah, you could start a Bible study. You might get five or 10 people, you know, half a dozen. 80 people signed up for the Bible study. Hey. <laughs> so I, uh, there was uh, Little Rock Scripture Study was the Bible study that was out there and they had done wonderful work for 20 years or so, um, I, I picked a Matthew to study. And um, th there are many, many good things about that and, and still are. It wasn't exactly the kind of study that I was looking for. So it was based on a commentary. You would read the commentary. And um, the, a lot of the questions were more than how do you apply that to your life? Okay. I wanted to dig into the scripture and teach people how do you, uh, I guess, a more inductive way of, of studying scripture that I was used to, but also to do that within the framework of church teaching. And it was a little fuzzy about how, now that I look back on it, I was pretty bold. But um, so after the first class, I just started writing my own lessons. Now, I used to be a writer. I always was going to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, so every, every week, I would write a bunch of questions for them to answer and then i would i i picked five or eight or something uh women who were uh, women and men actually it was it was both women and men in the study we had uh group facilitators because we had to break into small groups to discuss the questions so i met with them on a separate day of the week went through the whole study worked through the bugs here's the problems here's difficulties people are likely to come up with. Here's where we're going to go with them. Here's how you answer their questions, whatever. Then we'd meet and we'd have our Bible study. And I wrote a talk every week too, like a half hour talk. So I was probably putting in about 40 hours a week just doing this Bible study. And um, it was a lot of work, but it was 
it was exhilarating. It was awesome. And uh, one of the the associate pastor came to the came to our Bible study, so he was there also. It was it was wonderful. And then I reconnected with a woman I had gone to um, I had known in college who had gone to the seminary at Gordon. Gail Summers is her name, and she had moved out to Phoenix. She and her husband had both become Catholic. She was doing the same thing I was doing. So we decided to pool our resources and, you know, because it's a lot of work, work together and start writing Bible studies. Um, we got to know Scott Hahn and Mark Shea and Jeff Cavins and a bunch of guys were doing something called At Home with the Word. It was a wonderful Bible study. I think the main audience was pastors who had converted. Okay. So there's a lot of heavy, here's how you interpret scripture as a, as a Catholic. And here's the, the scriptural roots of Catholic teaching and so on. It was fabulous stuff. A little bit uh, above the heads of the ordinary person in the pew, though. So we went to them and we were like, hey, would you like to do this as a, a Bible study for parishes. And, you know, we have a lot between us. We have a lot of experience running Bible studies and so on. And we'd love to work with you and do that. So we started doing that. That eventually became Catholic Scripture Study International, which is now international. And uh, a couple years into that, uh, I, to make a long story short, um, we invited Jeff to come out, Jeff Cavins, to come out here and do a Bible Timeline seminar. When I saw it, um, I was like, this is just amazing. I mean, my I brought my 30 people or something from my parish. They came home and they were just blown away by having seen this overview of the Bible from, you know, the Bible story from beginning to end. They said, but we didn't get it all. Will you teach it to us again? So the next Saturday we got together and I went through and I taught them the whole, the whole Bible timeline, um, just using sort of his uh method or whatever and um they they were on fire and i went to jeff and i was like you know this is like the missing link of catholic bible study he goes why do you think i do it <laughs> <laughs> um but we just we started working uh we had been working on the other program we eventually started um uh, he had moved to a new publisher by that point to Ascension Press, and we started working together just to try to get this Bible timeline out to parishes. And at first it was going to be just the seminar, and then with Jeff and I both having background in Bible studies and really wanting to do that, we developed the Bible study program based on that. And um, I wrote them, and he wrote his talks, and we put them together, and every week did a new lesson. <laughs> it was pretty wild at the beginning there. Um, but I guess the rest is history. We just the rest is history. Yeah. Well, I think of the timeline, uh, how visual it is. You know, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm sure that's what you're talking about. The one that folds out. I mean, you can open it up and it's kind of like this long. Um, anyway, I was showing it to, um, some family members and one family member said, uh, wow, this is, and this is a Protestant family member. Wow. This is fascinating so well done i don't know uh, i know everything except for this maccabean revolt period well <laughs> what's that all about you know i don't know that we ended up getting into a discussion but i just found that fascinating because it's so beautifully done so visual and it really does help people piece together so many yeah um, 
Well, there are, yeah, there are many Bible timelines out there. You know, that's not new. Jeff's, uh, the genius thing that he came up with was to, so he, he laid out periods of Bible history, laid out, sort of picked the, what, what he did that is different from what anybody else has done, except I think in the early church they did this. He took um, the 14 books of the Bible that if you read them end to end, you get the story from beginning to end. And he laid them out on the timeline. And then he showed how all the other books fit in to those books. And then he went through and just using basically the covenants, he chose the most important people, places, events, you know, that happen in salvation history, the things that move the story forward. And so he isolated it down to just those basic things. So there's a whole lot of stuff that's not there, but what, what you need is to get that basic overview first. And once you get that, you can see not only how the rest of the Bible fits in, you can start seeing how our Catholic faith fits in. I mean, it was really genius, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Um, what a privilege to be tied to that. Yeah, what, what a privilege. I do want you to comment on one thing, um, because it's just, it's a good thing that comes up from time to time. You mentioned, hey, I'm a rule follower. And mm -hmm. the objection to someone that would hear just that part of the video would say, hey, you'd only joined, forget the obedience to God part, forget it all. You're just finding a church that has a bunch of rules and you love to follow rules. I was hoping you can address the difference between <laughs> being a list of rules and becoming, in essence, Pelagian and, you know, the alternative, if this is, if I'm making sense, um, because I hear yeah, that. What an interesting often. question. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I certainly was not looking for a list of rules to follow. Um, to me, it does start with the obedience to God and God, the God who created us knows how we work. And so I want to know, I want to know his rules to follow. Okay. And one of the things that he did was, um, I guess growing up, I, I sort of had this view of, it's just sort of me, Jesus and my Bible. Sure. Okay. But he started a family he created a family he loves the family but he gave us um he he gave us that family he gave us the church within it both to safeguard the truth of the teaching but also to be able to make sure that he can share his graces with us and that we can receive them and just finding that whole package and knowing that's what God set up that's what I want to follow. I'm not just looking for any rules to follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's why I want. I, I think it's good because okay. inevitably someone will say, can you get some clarification on that? Because it's so beautiful. This is I, from my own story. If I'm blind, then that's all I see is rules. And all I see is tyranny. And all I see mm. is what you describe, you know, this God that's vengeful and, and all these things. And then when he intervened in my life, I didn't see rules. I, I saw this. This is where freedom resides mm -hmm. when you appropriately um, latch on to those guardrails like, you know, like you were uh, mm -hmm. alluding to. Then you see this is where God says his children should be. And this is where they enjoy true freedom. 
This is where they are out of happy. What was that? What was that? This is where you'll be happy. This is where you'll be happy. This is where you'll be fulfilled. I mean, maybe it's maybe instead of rules. Yeah. Maybe we should call them something else. Um, I don't know, operating instructions <laughs> or um, so I I grew up in a family where uh, law rules all of that was always delivered with great love and yeah. it never so I don't have I, I know a lot of people have a, a huge hang up with rules and with people imposing things and so on but I always experienced it with such love for my parents I think that I had a very easy time seeing that from that's God. that's incredible because I do hear a lot about anyone it's it's easy to just say, well, it's more legalism. And it just becomes this catch-all term that if someone says, this is good for you, but because someone said it's to be done, you know, it's like you're enforcing it in a sense, or you're saying this is what God says. Oh no, that's that's legalistic. Well, mm -hmm. the cop-out there is you can claim that about anything, in order to suit your own desires mm -hmm. and that's i just i just had to bring that up because it keeps coming up again and again and again like rules equal um this forceful you know tyrannical approach to religion when again from my own experience i keep going back to no grace will show you that this is the most beautiful thing you could ever hope for, but you're spending your time chasing the world and living by the flesh, that you can't see these as beautiful, again, markers for you, basically, to lead you on your journey. So anyway, I digress. Is there, is there anything else you want to add about what you're currently working on or what you have worked on that you think would be beneficial to people that are considering the Catholic faith? Or, or also those that are that listen to this program that are cradle Catholics and want to enrich their faith. That's a huge question. <laughs> um, <laughs> things that I'm working on. Uh, I well, let's just talk about people who might be looking at the Catholic faith or coming in. Um, I guess I my own experience was that it was a very frightening thing and so coming from my background of uh it, it was frightening and i would say it, it's not you don't need to be afraid um and my own experience has been of my seeking god and god extending his hand to me and when i'm willing to follow even when it seems like it's jumping off a cliff or whatever and this isn't just becoming catholic it's in following him in anything in my life um he's worth following and it, his rules don't always make sense and his his demands and his call doesn't always make sense but usually it's it's there for a purpose to stretch you into becoming more who you were created to be and ultimately will bring you more happiness and fulfillment. And that has been my experience and what I try to share. And the other thing is, don't forget the word of God. <laughs> um, uh, so my, my book that you mentioned, Becoming Women yeah. of the World, I'm gonna do a little commercial here. Of course. But 
becoming, this is about women of the Old Testament, but there's a tree on the front and it's a tree that's planted in the desert. This to me is the most important thing that we're rooted in the word of God, we're rooted in the sacraments, we're rooted in prayer, you know, rooted in the Eucharist and so on. But when we root ourselves in the word of God and listen to it and allow him to speak inside of ourselves, that's when we get that living water coming up through us and bringing us to life. So my whole ministry, everything that I do, whether it's writing or speaking or teaching or anything, is always trying to drop people into the word in such a way that they will meet the word, capital W, in the words, meet the word in the words and hear him speak to them. So love it. And I have to mention what you, your emphasis on Lexio Divina, when people approach scripture, this is how I was for most of my life is like, got it understood. No Mm. problem. But what you, you know, you mentioned this on a phone call with me, just if you can pause if you can slow down and almost force yourself to just stop on those words and meditate Mm -hmm. that's when it comes alive because there's this arrogance i think you pick up the bible yeah i heard that story yep what what else you got that kind of approach it's especially in this day and age to slow down and meditate and get the commentaries that you've talked about and and really dive deep yeah don't treat it like fast food you know treat it like it's a a french dinner and you're taking one course and you're just chewing getting the most out of every bite and that's when you really get the flavor and that's when it has a way it has the opportunity to work its way into you because it's alive it's living so if all you do is let it go in one ear out the other yeah. Plant True. Get it in there. True. Last question. I just thought of this when you were talking about the puzzle analogy. Mm. What size puzzle would you say it felt like? Because I, I often right now with the kids at their ages, I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, 24 piece puzzles and 48 piece puzzles, things like that. Oh, I would How like would... a thousand piece or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the one that fills the whole dining room table is that is that what it felt like yeah is that right there were there was nothing around the edges it was just it took it up was, my whole entire vision there you go there you go yeah just just curious there so cool sarah thank you so much for your time for this yeah, great chat you. i appreciate it everyone if you like the video please like and comment and share the video I'm going to leave links to Sarah's books and uh, to her website. So anyway, hopefully you will uh, enjoy that. Until next time, take care and God bless.